Good evening, Agent Zuboff. A surging backlash against the companies once synonymous with progress, a turning tide against the once assumed benevolence of the Silicon Valley, a rising wave of animosity towards once revered entrepreneurs and innovators. This is the psychological and political battlefield on which we now wage war. As anti-capitalist and anti-fascist sentiments take hold in hearts and minds of the public, a new group of anti-technology extremists have started to gain influence. If their radical criticisms are successful, the consequences would be unimaginable. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to implant a reactionary critique of so-called surveillance capitalism into the currents of mainstream thought. By spreading this concept, you will undermine the historical materialist analysis that poses a serious threat to the existing arrangement of power and wealth in the technology sector. To maintain our position in the world economy, we cannot tolerate the existence of this insurgent Luddite organization. But to simply crush them would turn them into martyrs. Your mission is to displace and discredit their ideas. As always, should you or any member of your team be caught or killed, Chairman Bezos will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This message will self-destruct in five, four, three, two, one. Hello, friends and enemies. It's episode four of This Machine Kills. I'm Jathan, here with Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. Uh, Ed, what's going on, man? What's new? How are you doing this week? Uh, doing good, you know. Um, Uber uh, survived the guillotine. Uber and Lyft survived the guillotine. Um, and have been driving through California, um, which is having some of the largest uh, wildfires in its history, you know, uh, also coming off the Democratic National Convention. So feeling a lot of uh, <laughs> existential dread about everything, <laughs> you know, nothing new. <laughs> Well, man, the, the, what a what a what a fucking long week it's been. I Jesus, uh, I I I cannot believe that the cowardly appeals court yeah. just capitulated to capital, Capit- like capitulated <laughs> to Uber in that way. Like like the day before Uber Day, the day before, <laughs> it, like judgment was supposed to rain down upon them. Right, fucking appeals court. I mean, this is like imagine if like you, you know. It's end of days. Revelation is starting to happen. They break the first seal. And they're all like, "Oops! Oh, we didn't, you know, we didn't mean to do that shit." They just like super monkey glue it back together. Try to put it gently on the table. <laughs> That's what happened here. They dodged the, they dodged the silver bullet. And I, you know, and part of me kind of, um, I think the drive listening drivers has been encouraging because they'll talk about how Proposition Twenty Two, not the, not the ruling, is the important thing. But I also, you know, I'm worried what they'll do next but that's you know 
That's how it always is. They'll probably find some new excuse or some new arrangement to embed themselves in the political economy, right? Oh, of course, of course. It's just, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard not to be disheartened by the fact that, like, you know, the, their PR push succeeded mm-hmm. in this way. Um, but, I mean, that's also, like, that's the future of the courts that we have to rely upon, right? I mean, because, right. like, you know, Trump is putting, like, 15-year-old kids in, in federal courts, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> positions that they're going to be in for the next 65 years. These fucking, like, MAGA TikTok kids are going to be oh going to be the ones ruling <laughs> on this stuff for the next <laughs> century. Yeah, actually, they're going to take over uh, TikTok from the Chinese Imperium. Um, and they'll march, you know, Neil Ferguson off to the gulag. They'll probably march us off to the gulag, honestly. And then, uh, I don't know what they'll do. <laughs> Maybe march Trump off to the gulag and then take over for themselves. We'll have to see. <laughs> I was thinking this week, I was like, oh man, like the struggle sessions will be TikTok, <laughs> but mm, the, the, the monkey paw there might be <laughs> yeah. that we're the ones struggling. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, dude, you know, I think I think uh, the Chinese Revolution, you know, could have gone very differently if Mao Zedong had uh, TikTok, you know, for the struggle sessions. I think that would have been, you know, we would all be speaking Mandarin and like reciting Mao Zedong thought right now if they if only they had TikTok. This is good because this is this is this is gonna roll us into. I mean, you know, we got we got TikTok, we got all this going on. We got uh, what you know, a, a Wall Street Journal report just dropped like like an hour before we started recording about how um, the Zuck has been fueling anti-Chinese oh, yes. um, sentiments in 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 the in in the U.S. government um, as a way to like redirect the regulatory heat away from. Uh, away from Facebook and towards China. Um, Financial Times over the weekend had a really long essay on the geopolitical tensions and like the new like Cold War brewing mm-hmm. between um, uh, China and the U.S., particularly with Huawei mm-hmm. at the at the at the center of that tug of war. So you know we 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 got a lot of geopolitics popping off. We got we got a lot of capitalism popping off, um, and and you know it's it's with a heavy heart. That on on you know with that context, we're gonna devote this week's episode to um, canceling Shoshana. You know? <laughs> yes, you know, I mean, <laughs> not not not. not dude, let me back that up. Not of course Shoshana Wodinski, who joined um, us a couple weeks ago to talk about the geopolitics and TikTok. She's still great, still friend of the show. No, no, no. We are we are of course talking about Shoshana Zuboff. Uh, someone who has been, you know, um, p- pretty pretty quiet out there, uh, you know, mm-hmm. for having written the tome on, you know, mm-hmm. the age of surveillance capitalism, the fight for a human future at the new frontier of power, um, has 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 honestly now. been kind of quiet, yeah, with everything that's been going on, and, and and you know, I wonder why, you know, is is that is that because, uh, you know, her 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 analysis her sharp-eyed analysis of surveillance capitalism is not relevant for what's going on i mean what what do you think what do you think it is ed you know i think 
in the immediate um, you know aftermath of that book being published, and we'll get to this later, of course. You know, there was uh, this sort of uh, a fanatic praise of it as being like the next um, important analysis of capitalism, on par with like twenty first with Piketty's, you know, Capital in the Twenty First Century, like a piercing an, uh, analysis that unveils how Google and Facebook and digital technology companies work, right? Uh, but I do think. Um, you know, as the, you know, the high started to wear off from the reviewers, like people started to realize, you know, the book on the one hand does get people and orients people towards all sorts of criticisms, all sorts of really horrendous shit that is underpinning uh, the economy that they didn't know about. It also, I think, superficially introduces people uh, to these, you know, phenomena, these trends, in ways that complicates our analysis, and I think weakens it. I, you know, and when I think if we really step back, as we'll go through the episode today, like Zuboff's book is, I think, a step backwards in our understanding of how digital technologies operate, and in many ways, probably is going to, you know, be remembered as a reactionary one, you know, because of the way it ignores and tries to naturalize key parts of capitalism, the way it ignores huge swaths of the existing literature. And, you know, in a moment where people are focused on antitrust and anti-monopoly issues and the political economy of these things, I don't think her analysis has much to offer, right? Because it's specifically focused on providing like a sort of, not insurrectionary, maybe a sort of... uh, inciting um, interest in an issue, but then, like, the solution is, uh, what was it, like, do more art, you know, um, and, and and make more poetry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's even more insidious than that, and we're, yeah, so we're going to, like, really kind of pick apart this, like, 700-page tome um, mm-hmm. in this episode, because I, 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 think, I think you're right, Ed, that, like, you know, if this were just another academic book, be like, mm-hmm. all right, like whatever, you know, um, you know, it's not, it's not worth all the attention, uh, you know, really understanding <laughs> what it's trying to say um, in a in a really kind of critical way and contextualizing that. But but it's it's more so the fact that I think your analogy with uh, Piketty's Capital in the Twenty First Century is is dead on, right? It, it's it's the technology version of. Um, Piketty's book, which was really the the kind of economics and, and equality right um, version, and 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 you know it, in the in the way that it hit with such a like meteoric impact that academic tomes like never have right, and it, it became mainstreamed so quickly and so readily. Um, I mean, like, you know, this term surveillance capitalism is now just like, it's a normal part of the vocabulary um, in talking about technology and talking about these issues. But in a, you know, I think there's a lot of problems with that, which we'll, of course, dig into. I, I do, I will preface it to say that I think perhaps the, 
<laughs> the one saving grace with this mainstreaming of surveillance capitalism is that like 99.9% of the people who use the term have never uh, read the book and will never read the book um, in much <laughs> yeah. the same way yeah. that people did with um, with Piketty, you know, uh, and even <laughs> most of those who claim they read it uh, have definitely not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at I'm looking at you, Obama, um, who put it on his <laughs> yeah. 2019 list of like the best books of the year. <laughs> which really tells you all you need to know, right? That he felt like, not him, his team felt like it was a good move for him to include that book on on, on his list of, of the best of, of 2019. It's like, you, you didn't read it, but if you did read it, you would also actually agree with everything that it said. There's nothing in there that would challenge his worldview um, or the, or his, right. like the, his, philosophical or political foundations right yeah you know i think it's um like when when you see books like this you know uh get the praise by some of the you know circles that they're criticizing i think it's important to ask whether they are criticized you know one what position do they and the company or the interest they represent have you know were they uh in the book were they involved in the book? Do they have anything to gain from one perspective or another being, you know, taken apart in the book? And you know, it makes sense that Obama, who like sat at the helm of, you know, a real surveillance apparatus that comes at the tail end of like a real history of uh, co- collaboration between, um, you know, the government, uh, military contractors, uh, advertising giants, financial institutions, and then surveillance companies and data brokers would praise a book that kind of like clips that history and focuses on the last um, 10 years, starting with 9-11, or at least like, you know, the the war on security, right? And how that, you know, the Bush era created this momentum that we were unable to escape and it corrupted our good little capitalist system versus like, this is just how it's been operating in other forms for the entire time. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, it really says a lot um, that again, you know, a book that's an absolute brick can be so narrowly focused in its, uh, in its discussion of surveillance and capitalism, let alone surveillance capitalism kind right. of, you know, smushed together. Uh, to the point where, yeah, I mean, you're exactly right, where it's like the state apparatus is not mentioned, right? That's not part of the analysis. Um, that So, you know, so that kind of uh, surveillance industrial complex um, with the government at the center of it or police at the center of it, right? Like, that's not part of the analysis. Um, instead, if we if we dig into what Zuboff's book is actually about and what it's actually doing... Um, I will, I, you know, I'll say that uh, she really succeeds at providing a detailed explanation complete with, you know, charts and models and figures um, of Google and Facebook's business model. Right, like how do they operate and what do they do? That you know, the, the, so in that in that way, it's really valuable in terms of understanding the operations of 
capital or at least the operations of um, really specific actors within capitalism. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, namely mm-hmm. a a collection of of firms that she focuses on. Um, but 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 that does not require 700 pages to do. Um, right, and right. where it succeeds on this one descriptive front, uh, it, it, it fails fantastically <laughs> in so many other ways. Yeah, you know, I think um, it also, you know, just uh, from the beginning, you know, like even like let's talk about, you know, the idea of, Surveillance capitalism, right? You know, you uh, there was a quote I think you pulled out about how, you know, she kind of writes what surveillance capitalism is not an accident of overzealous technologists, but rather a rogue capitalism that learned to cunningly exploit its historical conditions to ensure and defend its success, right? What the fuck does rogue <laughs> capitalism mean? What right. is a rogue capitalism? You know, I think... Oh, oh no, I'm, I'm on the highway and I'm getting robbed by rogue capitalism. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it kind of, you know, it, it, it not, first of all, it obscures, you know, how capitalism proceeds, right? And it, and it kind of tries to pretend like, oh, look, you know, this, this, this shit about surveillance, this shit about control, this is not what capitalism is about. It's about producing more stuff, selling more stuff, making it cheaper, more efficient, more innovative, right? But the reality is that, you know, capitalism and, <laughs> you know, capitalism is not simply a process of like making things for more people, right? You know, it's at its very basic, most vulgar core sense is centered on you have a group of individuals who own the way in which production is, it proceeds privately, right? And then from there, we, we should, if, if Zuboff's theory, you know, scales upwards, right, as Morozov's treatment of it tries to ask, you know, does her theory then explain why these capitalists are acting differently why is it that the capitalists now are concerned with data uh, and is that creating a new regime of capitalism or is that extending the old form? And like, you know, there's so much circular logic where it's like, oh, this is a rogue capitalism because surveillance capitalists uh, surveil people because that's what surveillance capitalism wants surveillance capitalists to do. And, and not the fact that like they're just following a new avenue of capitalism because that's what the incentive for capitalism is like that's just the it's just capitalism. yeah it has these like it has these like circular imperatives baked into it right like surveillance capitalism is what surveillance capitalism demands that surveillance capitalists do right so it has this like really tautological nature you mentioned um, Morozov's treatment and and so yeah I mean for this episode what we you know we both revisited um, a a really kind of magisterial uh, uh, review of of this book in its own right from uh, Evgeny Morozov in uh, from February 2019 in the Baffler, um, and he wrote this like you know Morozov wrote this like twenty thousand word review of this like two hundred thousand word uh, book, right? Oh um, yeah, so his own like, book. Little mini book. <laughs> yeah, he wrote his own little mini book, but it's it, it's it's an amazingly um, in depth review 
because what I think it does really well, I mean, so the, the review, Morozov's review, and we'll link this in the show description, um, but I mean, to save people from having to go and, and, you know, spend an entire day reading just the review of a book, um, what he really does in the first, like, half of this, of, of, of his review is, I think, provide the really necessary intellectual history um, of Shoshana Zuboff, which contextualizes her approach. Uh, a lot of things that are really implicit in her book um, and would require you to kind of like know, uh, you know, her her body of work stretching back to like the 70s. You know, she's been working on this subject um, for like 40 years, right, in terms of like doing these kinds of like um, ethnographies and like in-depth uh, analysis of uh, particular firms and how particular firms and the workers within them and the bosses and managers within them um, are responding to kind of changing technological and social imperatives. Um, but what 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 you wouldn't really know from her book, and it really explains a lot of the, I think, the way that the book is written, a lot of downfalls is that this is all kind of sit, her work is very much situated within this broader kind of tradition of business history um, with people like Alfred Chandler, who wrote this uh, really famous book called The Visible Hand, um, which was all about managerial capitalism, right? All about basically doing for what, uh, you know, for like what Ford and GM, uh, you know, you know, doing what doing for Ford and GM, what Zuboff has tried to do for Google and Facebook, right? In terms of like mapping out these these different epochs of different kinds of capitalism and and their avatars, right? You know, and and oh, no, just uh, like Chandler's narrative. It you know when you look at it, it sounds familiar in terms of the way that Zuboff structures hers, right? You know, Chandler is. You know, as you said, he's focusing on, you know, mid, what, like 1800s. And he's talking about how these companies and industries that were looking to, you know, seize on transportation and communication tech, right, were capital intensive and they threw their money into expanding, you know, operations. And they got into new markets and then they got new supply of uh, materials and then they automated that that process, right? And then that got them even more markets, which got them more raw materials, which got them more uh, production and automation. And then they got, you know, uh, imp they improved the way that they produced, they reduced the prices, they, you know, they, they, they got consumers hooked onto uh, streamlined production and automation process, right? That then they had to start finally tuning manage or finally managing right and that's where the managerial concept comes in where all right as a manage managerial capitalism is just that you know, corporations become so large the market's so expansive the productive process so complex that you need uh, people integrated into every level of the production process to ensure that it works right and that things that yeah it's almost like you need this professional class of managers right. a, a professional <laughs> yeah. mm, what's the word i'm thinking of a professional Man administrative a class. professional <laughs> management class administrative <laughs> yeah. class oh, right. i don't know well I'll, it'll come back to me later and that uh, and you know this 
and he also kind of like you know pushes back against critiques of this conception of everything requiring more mid-level managerial uh, administration by saying, look, you know, the Marxists, they're talking nonsense when they talk about monopolies, right? You know, they don't understand that these people who are managers are not, they're, they're, they're titans of industry, you know, they're charismatic individuals, they're visionaries, they don't, they're, they're concerned with the future and restructuring the world, which is just, you know, um, uh, older version of the way people talk about Silicon Valley and the digital economy and, 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 and most of the tech overlords, right, today, ignoring the material and focusing on the ideal. There's such this red thread, exactly, ignoring the material, focusing on the ideal. And it's like, you know, ignore, and, and part of that is, uh, you know, it really shows the, the scale of, of, of this version of analysis as well is that it like, uh, it focuses on capitalism as an aggregate of companies, as 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 a collective of individual firms, um, rather than these like overarching historical structures and social relations, right? Like that's not it, that that's not the scale at which it understands capitalism. So it's like you know we we look at. Um, you know, we look at like what what Henry Ford uh, is doing, or, or or whatever, and you know, or we look at what Steve Jobs is doing, um, or or you know, so so like those are the uh, it has that kind of like historical that version of historical historicism um, kind of built into it, where it's like really focusing on these cults of personality uh, and, and the companies as kind of like these embodiments of these particular individuals. And and so I mean that's where we that's where we end up with some really I think perverse outcomes um, as well. You know, we we mentioned that, you know, that for Zuboff, surveillance capitalism is a rogue capitalism, or she calls it elsewhere, a rogue mutation of capitalism. Um, and that's really important to understand because that's like at the crux of her kind of like political and normative project here uh, is that what that means then is that there is a good ver there is a good kind of capitalism there is a normal and just capitalism which surveillance capitalism is corrupting is a mutation of uh, and for 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 zuboff that that version of capitalism that she's hearkening back to that she wants uh, to 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 be hegemonic is what she calls a quote um, advocacy-oriented capitalism or advocacy capitalism. So for her, you know, Google and Facebook are the avatars of surveillance capitalism. You know who she holds up as the contemporary paragons of advocacy-oriented capitalism? Hit me with it, Ed. Do you... <laughs> Although, I mean, our, our one... And only Bezos, I remember, was a subject of some of her earlier work when she was uh, writing Rosalie about how the digital economy was going to usher in, you know, all sorts of uh, magical, positive transformations mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, for the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. She's talking about motherfucking Apple and Amazon. Those are the paragons of 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 
advocacy capitalism. Well, to be clear, she means a pre-Alexa Amazon. Right. For her, the, the 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 spread of Alexa is a um, you know that that's a that's a that's a viral mutation. That's that's surveillance capitalism creeping into um, what would otherwise be a a very beneficial version of of capitalism you know that that's 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 bezos getting getting his mind corrupted getting brainwashed Mm -hmm. by these other you know ghouls and goons in silicon valley you know if only if only bezos was strong-willed enough to remain (laughs) independent focusing on his if only he didn't get goals Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Once Bezos got swallowed, you know, that's that's when the jinn started getting a Bezos got swallowed. He cheated on his wife. He (laughs) let Alexa get made. I mean, this is this is the danger of surveillance capitalism. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man yeah so surveillance capitalism is gonna make you alpha as fuck <laughs> just stay away from it This distinction that she's drawing in her book, which, you know, I feel like, again, like 99% of people who are using surveillance capitalism, I mean, the one saving grace is that they, for the most part, probably have no idea that this is the distinction that she's drawing. Um, I think that, you know, it's entered the lexicon as a critical term for like, you know, uh, essentially like capitalism is bad and this version of capitalism that uses and relies upon surveillance is especially bad. Um, I don't think most people are thinking in terms of like, uh, or at least not explicitly in the way that Zuboff is, um, that, that the, the real problem is surveillance capitalism is bad because it's about collecting data and doing surveillance, um, to for the purpose of behavioral manipulation right to 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 modify people's preferences to manipulate their behaviors um, which is why she focuses so much on advertising firms like google and facebook for her like advertising is the the real um, the real heart of evil here right you know and i think this is um a point you know if you look in the surveillance uh, scholarship, you know, I think about there's this one review by uh, Kirsty Ball in Surveillance and Society um, in this uh, symposium they had. Uh, and, you know, that uh, her review, I think, was uh, kind and generous in that, like, it engaged with the text, but it also was, it, you know, it was one of the, her core points is look, you know, this book is not a book about surveillance in the way that surveillance scholarship is understood because it ignores a huge amount of the theories, the, the studies, the analysis that's already be, been done. You know, she talks about her own work that's been in, ignored in this uh, text. She talks about work that other people have done. You know, uh, she talks about surveillance assemblages. She talks about the ways in which networks and uh, partnerships are made between corporations and, um, and between um, 
the federal government, right? That's ignored in, in, in the way that it's already covered in the field, uh, the way the political economy of interiority. You know, Zuboff spends a lot of time talking about how this behavioral uh, manipulation is because for, you know, a lot of people who were obsessed with Skinner's, uh, uh, B.F. Skinner's conception of humans as like needing uh, a specific, uh, as uh, needing uh, to be, you know, regimentally controlled or, you know, envisioning technology to be regimentally controlled, right? Um, the main barrier was the interior world, right? Um, and now we have the technology to do so, right? And Zuboff's book is, spends a significant amount of time and energy talking about the ways in which interior world, interior per perspectives, interior tastes, interior you know viewpoints can be manipulated. But this is also stuff that was you know being talked about in the literature, you know, ten years ago, and doesn't really get talked about in the way that they do, which I think is more insightful, um, and actually again maps out a political economy of all this. Doesn't talk about the smart city. You know, your work deals extensively with you know smart tech and digital capitalism, and Zuboff kind of stumbles into it, or you know, happens to come to the same conclusions without citing any of that work. Doesn't talk about national security and the history of how national security has you know, inflamed surveillance tech in the first place and control tech in the first place. Doesn't talk about the the, the the reason why there are some types of information networks which have infrastructures where you cannot anticipate or predict accurately the way that people act. And so this also feeds into like this obsessive need to control, to predict, to know everything, you know. I think Zuboff kind of talks about that. She calls it the right to future tense, but that's not, you know, really connected to the existing literature that scholarship that surveillance scholarship you know builds up um, pretty extensively and as a result of that uh, I think again you know like we've been talking about the analysis suffers because now it becomes a novel thing that is related to Google and Facebook's profit model and not like a fundamental aspect a, a logical outgrowth of capitalism given the past 50 years of decisions actively made and pursued by state planners and the whole list of uh, economic uh, allies that they've tried to recruit, you know, to expanding power, expanding surveillance, expanding economic activity. Yeah, and, you know, she does a lot of work in trying to, like, you know, coin a lot of new terms and and present this analysis as completely original because she's pathologically unable to acknowledge <laughs> yeah. let alone build on um like like decades or centuries of of relevant mm -hmm. work in this area um let alone just the, the the onslaught of recent work in the last 10 years which would provide the same analysis um and 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 you know she you mentioned her conclusions she reaches this kind of almost like a like a doppelganger version of of good conclusions right because they're like you know we you know we mentioned in the in the in the cold open that the mission is to displace and discredit you know actual radical critique um which is something that she, you know she she does really well by reaching conclusions that look very similar but it's like, you know, it's like the evil twin where like it looks exactly the same except for the goatee. And I mean, that's the kind of right. conclusions <laughs> that she um, that she's reaching. Right. Like they look radical and they look, uh, you know, sharp. But but in reality, they've had all of that kind of like 
radical energy sucked out of I mean, them. like, we could, like, she's, li- yeah. like, <laughs> literally, uh, like, again, you know, like, your work, I feel like, you, you know, you've, we've talked a great deal about political economy of tech. You've written a great deal about it. I mean, like, um, what was that quote uh, uh, that you have in here? It was like I, what Zuboff said, I could see that this new form had broken away from the norms and practices that define the history of capitalism. And in that process, something startling and unprecedented had emerged, right? You know, and uh, I don't know, man, sounds like a, you know, sounds like a pretty uh, a shitty write-up or summary or uh, mirror image of like, uh, shit, the introduction of your uh, book, you know, which talks, I think, um, you know, if people who are listening haven't uh, checked it out should it you know one of the ways you also thank embed you, you, <laughs> a discussion of smart tech is the ways in which it can help you know exclude include people control um or surveil as ways to also you know organize populations organize and restructure and terraform cities organize like larger patterns of people and anticipate them right not and that this is like a logical extension of the way that power systems already work, right? And it's not like some new shit. It's just it's just they found new toys, you know? Yeah, I mean, ca- calling it this like unprecedented thing that ha- has emerged. I mean, that's like that. That's 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 mad sus to me. <laughs> it's yeah. it's so ahistorical. Um, it's so intent on carving out. Uh, something to be novel and original, right? Because if you can name something as unprecedented and then you provide the 700-page analysis of it, then that means that you've you've done something that's, you know, completely and totally original, creative, and novel, Um, you know, which is all, that is all just framing right and it's all it's all a a really it's not only a kind of like disingenuous way of framing and doing this kind of analysis but is also just like analytically wrong it's a misdiagnosis of uh of political economy um i mean it's like it's 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 malpractice right like if a like I'm taking away her license for analysis because like yeah, if, it's gone. <laughs> if, if anyone else, you know, if, if any other kind of doctor had done that kind of misdiagnosis or that kind of mis or malpractice, they, you know, they, they, their license would be taken away. Um, but you know, but we, but, but we countenance it in part because like most people have, and you know, ironically bought into Silicon Valley's own advertising that this is all, that nothing has ever been like this, nothing will ever be the same, you know, all of this stuff that is explicitly designed to separate it from an existing history and existing conditions in which it has actually emerged from and continues to reproduce in really meaningful ways. Right. Yeah. Do you want to? So, what do you think about? Should we? You want to jump into the uh, Morozov's um, review of it? We can. We can like uh, use that. I think we we talked a bit about Chandler, but he also has some sections. I think that also make that make that connection like even more fine between Chandler and Zuboff, and also Chandler's own uh, mentor, right, uh, Parsons, who. Who comes from a very specific school of sociology that like explains why all of them keep fucking up when it comes to naming capitalism as a bad fucking thing. 
Yeah, yeah, let's 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 do it. But before we jump into um, Morozov's intellectual history and you know read uh, this this really awesome uh, and uh, long passage from it, I I do want to also put um, real quick just what Zuboff means by advocacy capitalism, as in like the good kind of capitalism, and why. And like why Apple and Amazon are the paragons of, you know, of, 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 of good capitalism. Um, and it's so, it's so simple, but also reveals so much about her, again, her frame of analysis. And that the reason why um, surveillance capitalism and Google and Facebook are bad is because, uh, you know, you know, she has all these labels, behavioral surplus, predictive products, you know, you mentioned the right to the future tense, blah, blah, blah. But really what it comes down to is that they collect, <laughs> they collect data about people, they, i.e. they do surveillance in order to um, modify or manipulate people's behaviors, right? That's, that's, that's what it boils down to. That's the harm. That's the core harm. That's the core reason why it's bad is that they modify or manipulate people's behaviors. It's not crucially the fact that they are doing that surveillance or collecting that data in the first place. It's what they do with it, right? It's this, what she again calls like a instrumentarian power. Um, and however, if we want, if we want to see this kind of capitalism operate in a good way, um, then what you do is you do something like uh, Amazon does, which is you collect all of that same kind of data, but rather than use it to explicitly like manipulate people's behaviors, you use it to uh, improve the your services, right? So now like your book recommendation service um, is like really useful and really accurate, uh, you know, or, <laughs> or 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 with Apple again, her her like. Uh, fear and hatred of a of advertising as like the core harm that's kind of like corrupted capitalism is really ironic because she really buys into Apple's whole like think different um, advertising program where she sees Apple as being good because because they allow pe people to like express their own like individual preferences it empowers people right it, it it emancipates and empowers the consumer that's what apple does that's you know in other words it, it advocacy oriented means a form of capitalism that advocates for the consumer um, whereas surveillance capitalism is a form of capitalism that manipulates the consumer right and i think it's also interesting that you know the advocacy oriented firms right namely apple and amazon i think you know all these firms the you know apple and amazon in this advocacy camp google and facebook in this surveillance camp have done things that do significant or have done significant harm to human beings facebook you know uh with its inciting of a genocide and also mass you know disinformation right or compromising elections in Google with you know uh, with having supply chains that require you know slave labor and child miners in the Congo. I mean, um, these companies still uh, Apple do, with like do things, but Foxconn I think maybe and right. like your know, rare mineral extraction, yeah, Apple with <laughs> suicide you know. nets, right? That are going on in the in the factories and Amazon. 
but it's like she excuses, you know, if for Apple and Amazon, when like you said, you know, Foxconn has suicide nets. These people are also building the phones and inhaling gases at such a – in order to amount that they're getting undocumented uh, diseases uh, from them and medical complications of illnesses. And then in Amazon, which literally every single day runs on human misery, whether it's by overworking people or driving their bodies into a, an early grave. But like those ones are OK because like you get to – order a book that you might not have found in a bookstore or some shit whereas like the other ones are more upfront about the uh, manipulation on the consumer side i guess in her in her estimation whereas like you know advocacy oriented firms are helping the consumer even if it means trampling on the bodies of like unseen masses of workers which is also then again another interesting thing because early in Zuboff's career she was also concerned with workplaces yeah it's 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 so aggravating because the book obscures so much more than it reveals right it's been 700 pages obscuring a lot uh you know so like you know Zuboff's laser focus on um, consumers and like these archetypal companies like Google and Facebook allows her to ignore the very existence of other actors or relationships, right? Uh, like, like there are no workers being harmed by smart warehouses, um, only consumers being harmed by smart homes. Um, you know, there, there, there are no police no military, no intelligence agencies um, using these nefarious techniques of data extraction and behavioral manipulation, right? It's only advertising firms like, again, Facebook and Google um, who are the ones that we have to worry about. You know, if she does acknowledge the existence of, of, of these kinds of like other aspects or consequences, they are somehow less important. They're less impactful, less instrumental um, to the operations of, quote, surveillance capitalism. And, and thus, therefore, we can safely ignore them or downplay their importance. You know, this is the true psyop uh, of Zuboff is to make us so focused on consumers and so focused on advertising um, that, 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 that we ignore all of these other things that are part and parcel of capitalism. We ignore all of these other things that are happening in other places to other people who are not us, right? Or not, li you know, living in the, the U.S. or in Europe. Building on that psyop point, I mean, like Morozov, I think there's there's a there's a point in there where he like, what he writes, you know, to his critic. He's writing about Chandler, and he's like, you know, to his critics. Uh, Chandler's account of managerial capitalism was just uh, an elaborate fairy tale, which is what we think about Zuboff, um, one that allowed American elites to legitimize their rule with myths rivaling those now pumping forth from Silicon Valley. Chandler lauded America's managerial cadres, the presumed champions of efficiency for serving not the interests of capital, but those of society. And, you know, when, you, when you're talking about that laser focus, like that is just – um, I think uh, Zuboff really, uh, you know, learned well from Chandler in that her account of surveillance capitalism. People need to under or people need to, you know, keep in mind that when you're reading, if you 
decide for some reason to read this book, um, you know, when she's giving an account of the system, and you know, and you're critically engaging with you know the behavioral surplus, the way in which. Um, God, there's just so many moving parts of the stupid theory. But basically, when she's trying to paint a picture of surveillance being a novel aspect of capitalist, you know, enterprise, right, and not being there before, then ask what part, who's getting exonerated and who's not, because you know, it, it it's it's a little convenient that the that the narrative being given for surveillance capitalism and for the surveillance aspect being emphasized over capitalism happens to come at a time where if it were a consequence of capitalism and not surveillance, the system would be, the solution would be to radically uh, rethink and restructure um, the way that these institutions exist and the political economy of them, meaning, you know, are they going to be allowed to own what they own? Are they going to be allowed to own the data? Are they going to be allowed to own the data generating infrastructure? Are they allowed to? They're going to be allowed to own the data center. So they're going to be allowed to own the proprietary tech. I mean, these are all real questions that should be asked, but within Zuboff's worldview and within this explanatory framework, the only real question that gets asked is how to rein in the surveillance and not why it is that surveillance and capitalism not only go together so well in that they've resulted in multi-billion dollar enterprises, right? But why they expanded and seem to conquer so much of our life, right? I mean, there are descriptions and there are off there's explanations she offers, but when you get down to it, they're not satisfactory and they are more so posited as ways to talk about the the romantic uh the romantic aspect of human and humanity and the human condition and the way in which these things violate that not like the serious um consequences of having a economic system like capitalism that now has these toys and like what we're gonna have to do to permanently prevent this from happening ever again and why it happened in the first place like really happened in the first place is that zuboff's theory just ends up being a little too convenient you know like um at the end of the day um it kind of argues that surveillance is a discrete or it's a very it's it's a distinct part of the modern capitalist process and that if and it it's not a coincidence that the analysis does not go and stretch into like the you know the 60s the 70s 80s like if we're if we're seriously asking question of when you know surveillance became a core part of capitalist function i think it would make sense for us to to at the very least start when we know surveillance was happening, you know, during the 60s and the 70s, right? You know, when the massive social movements were starting to see federal, um, you know, surveillance. And then asking, did that surveillance that happened by federal authorities have any connection or realize any manifestation in the larger real economy? Or is it, or maybe, you know, she focuses a lot on advertising. Is it the case that the advertising methods she loads so much are not so much new novel methods because there are shiny technology technology behind them, but things that stretch back, you know, even further? And I don't think, um, I think, you know, like we've been talking about, one of the big explanatory gaps in Zuboff's work is that she does not, not, she not only ignores most of the literature that already exists on this, but also ignores like the real history that would like that predates all these. Uh, you know, even if you look at the history of 
how advertising was created, right? Like the, you know, I think I think this is pretty well worn, but you know, we, you know, we've we've got a a descendant of Freud、um, in the early twentieth century, you know, kind of creating what modern advertising looks like.、Um, but then also, this was pretty explicitly tied into and influencing things like,、uh, you know, this like intelligence agencies, right? Like the the kind of Modern predecessors to、um, the the CIA,、um, but also that kind of like you know that that kind of geopolitics. It, weird that kind of comes. It constantly comes back to geopolitics. You know, Fred Turner,、um, who's a communication scholar, wrote this. Book, which was like a follow up to his really well known、um, from cyber culture to counterculture, kind of tracing how like you know these people like Stuart Brand and and you know these kind of like hippies and the commune living in the seventies kind of like led up to、um, the kind of like you know California ideology and cyber libertarianism of Silicon Valley in like the nineties and and two thousands, but like. His follow-up book from that was called *The Democratic Surround*, and it was really about how、um, the American state, and particularly like the the kind of like propaganda arm of the American state apparatus, like、um, used. Uh, all of these like psychologists and anthropologists and you know media scholars、um, in the early、uh, early nineteen hundreds to do propaganda efforts, right? To to spread、um, the the message and the ideology of of American democracy and liberty and freedom to other、um, you know other countries, and that and that's a very You know that's a that that that's a long and well worn tradition,、um, and and so it's just like the it just shows that that myopia right of like even if we accept that the the core problem here is with advertising and with the use of data and new media technologies to manipulate people's hearts and minds,、um, why would you begin that analysis? At like you know, the in in like two thousand one, why would you begin that analysis、um, in such a recent point of history, rather than tracing it back、um, and really understanding how the military industrial complex is a huge part of that, how state propaganda is a huge part of that?、Uh, it, it just it it again it shows that like the the only actors that she's concerned with are consumers, right? That's that's all that she's worried about is consumers, right? I think, and and this this sort of consumer focus. I mean, like we should we should guard against it consistently, especially you know, like for example, there's been attempts at returning the the、uh, the tactic of boycotts, right? The idea that you know, look, the way we're really going to hurt these large companies. Uh, like Facebook is if we organize boycotts of them, right? But I mean, the 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 all of this reduces, you know, on the one hand, it reduces political activity to that of consumption, right? The only way in which you're able to,、um, the only way you're able to manage, you know, these capitalists and their their excesses is by consuming or by modifying the amount you consume instead of by inter, you know. Uh, working within some political system or outside of a political system to apply pressure, right?、Um, and also, it ignores the the very real dynamic, which is that you know 
a lot of these companies are monopolies. You know, they don't control 100% of the market, but they control a sufficient amount in which they're able to um, have real effects on production, real effects on prices, real effects on entry, real effects on competition that preclude um, or prevent, you know, any boycott, any sort of consumptive behavior from doing anything. You know, if anything, the 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 diminishment of individuals and their political actions to consumption benefits them because now, I mean, who better to control consumers, you know? Uh, than companies that have convinced people they are nothing but consumers and that the best benefits they can get, the best you can hope for from Facebook is better consumption, more ethical consumption, more responsible consumption, more connected consumption. The best you can offer from New Google is more intelligent consumption. And from Amazon, it's quicker consumption. You know, And from Apple, it's sleeker consumption. I mean, it's just uh, this this focus of by Zuboff connects very nicely to... Uh, the interest of these corporations and as a result it leaves us weaker uh, and less able to really take a serious look at how to not only uh, figure out what's wrong but how to get rid of it you know because the answer is not consumption that's how we got in this mess in the first place because they convinced the vast amount of society over the past 50 years that consumption is you know the way forward totally i mean it's, it's such a um like apolitical and anti-political take on it where you know to, to the point where it's like you know may, maybe you know i think we often don't think about the fact as well that like zuboff is you know she's a she's a harvard business professor yeah. right <laughs> yeah. so it's like is it is it any is it really surprising um i mean you know so it's not it's not surprising that that a non-capitalist or anti-capitalist horizon is is outside of her of her her line of vision, right? Which fine, okay, like understand that, but it's also a bit more egregious the fact that like it's not difficult to imagine Zuboff like you know sitting on the board or consulting for or chairing some like you know uh ethics committee for you know these companies right like it's not hard to imagine that being the case in in the in in you know in the immediate future um it, it because it, and that, and it wouldn't even be a like uh, like a subsumption or an appropriation of her ideas, it would just be an application. It would just be a straight application of her ideas, right? It's like how do we how do we transition from surveillance capitalism to advocacy capitalism? Right, right. No, I, I know. I, I agree with you. I think you know that's why you know this passage of of Morozov's. I think really kind of. Um, uh, knocks it out of the park here um, and then you know basically what he's talking about here is that you know other approaches have failed and when you really look at Zuboff's work Chandler's work and Chandler's mentor Taylor uh, I think it's Taylor Parsons um, you'll see like a pretty common thread right and it's uh, so you know Zuboff's narrative holds because it is able to posit the existence of three different regimes, each with its own set of distinct imperatives and economies, these regimes describe the operations of large economic actors. General Motors and Ford in the case of managerial capitalism, Google and Facebook in the case of surveillance capitalism, 
Apple and early pre-Alexa Amazon in the case of advocacy at capitalism. By themselves, however, such descriptions carry little weight, as we can come up with many alternative ways to slice economic and political reality. Such alternative approaches might invoke different sets of imperatives, but they can still offer better accounts of what drives these same economic actors. The Chandlerian framework, grounded in functionalist explanations, doesn't easily admit the existence of alternative narratives. Its sharp explanatory power derives partly from its self-imposed posture of omniscient functionalism. Chandlerians don't often bother to engage alternative explanations in any searching fashion, even if only to dismiss as inaccurate. As a result, these the kinds of important questions that normally shape the choice of explanatory schemes. Does the chosen analytical framework explain reality better than the alternatives? Does it have much predictive power? Or rarely asked? Thus, readers of the age of surveillance capitalism will search, in vain, for Zuboff's take on platform capitalism, or cognitive capitalism, or biocapitalism, some of the alternative, well-established ways to frame the same set of historical and political problems. Zuboff's discussion of alternative explanations never arrives. Perhaps 700 pages were not enough. That that's the kind of Murza fire that I I miss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I spent so much time uh, reading Morozov's like you know long magisterial caustic uh, reviews of 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 works you know of these kinds of works, um, and it, it really kind of shaped. Uh, I think my own approach in, in a lot of, you know, serious ways, especially early on, it was really influential when I was like just starting to think seriously about like the, the politics of, of all of this. Um, I mean, yeah, just that line, perhaps 700 pages were not enough. I think that tells us so much, um, as well in that, like, you know, I like that he's saying that we can search in vain for Zuboff's take on these other like platform capitalism, cognitive capitalism, whatever. Um, because it's, that's not just you know that's a very common critique by academics um who you know uh, of of zuboff's work and of this book in particular um because we're trained uh, you know to you know really ground ourselves in the literature and to cite and reference and you know build on and blah 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 um but i think it's really important to note that like while this th- this this critique of Zuboff's work is not just based in a like, oh, she didn't reference my work or she didn't reference your work or she didn't reference this other work that's my favorite work, right? Like, it's not that. Uh, that's not the problem. The, 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 that's a symptom of a problem. The real problem is that this is a very intentional um, exclusion of these alternative approaches, right? And it's done so for... Um, I think very instrumental reasons, which is, you know, as, as this, that, that long passage you just read from Morozov really shows it's to, um, bolster the strength of her own explanations by ignoring the existence of any other explanations. Right. You know, there's a reason why, again, you know, like she just does not engage with the literature of surveillance, um, scholarship in the first place. There's a reason why the uh, analysis is capped off at 2001 and onward. There's a reason why, you know, these other perspectives are not explored. I mean, like, if we were, like, again, you know, as you, as you said, if we're really serious about uh, answering something, right, answering a real question, which is, uh, 
is my theory correct and as it is does it predict anything you know uh then we would we would subject our own framework to all these sorts of tests right but we're not interested in that we're interested or zuboff is interested in telling a story that has some sort of explanatory power that will resonate with people such that they will align with the worldview she has and the interest she has and the project she outlines very 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 like barely at the end you know and all of this is to say you know the concern is not so much um uh a, a different economic system or different socio-economic system that doesn't need or rely on surveillance but a kinder capitalism you know that capitalism is not really about um, you know, uh, endless accumulation, right? That capitalism is about meeting what consumers need and desire, and that capitalists are just flexible group of people with a lot of money that will do whatever the consumers demand of them. You know, uh, and this is just like you know, it's again, like you're saying, it's anti-cap, it's anti-political, it's apolitical, it's a historical, and it uh, is comforting, and it allows us to have very fancy and confusing. Uh, frameworks about behavioral surpluses and behavioral reinvestment cycles and you know all this stuff that kind of um loses the 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 plot you know at the end of the day because if you were to like really serious like if some for people who have read the book or you know tried to engage with it what is the project that comes out of such a thing you know when like the project for us right or the project for someone who's concerned with capitalism and it's yeah, it's infecting of society is to get it out but the project for the surveillance capitalism is what to like enact a smart series of reforms and tax credits which will de-incentivize advertising that uses data mining and then will uh, focus it on using book recommendations in a way that doesn't disadvantage uh, small third-party sellers so that the behavior surplus can't be at like you know like just a long winding nonsense you sounds, know? <laughs> sounds <laughs> great man just 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 <laughs> sounds awesome let's, let's do it <laughs> it really it really uh, like harkens back as well to our conversation with Shoshana Wadinsky um, which we, where we really concluded that you know, like fixing, quote unquote, fixing the digital economy is not just about like, like you can't just, you know, extract some particularly bad apples uh, and then put a Band-Aid over, you know, the, the the advertising system, right? Like this, like this network of advertising, like you can't just like, that's not going to like fix the digital economy just in the same way that like, that's not going to you know, fix surveillance capitalism, um, you know, is by like, yeah, disincentivizing Facebook and Google from, from, uh, using their data in particular ways, but instead using their data in other ways. And it's like, I mean, come on, right? Like that fits this, this theme of myopia, um, that runs throughout, uh, a very large piece of work. Um, and, and it's also, it's also fitting at the same time, um, that the, like the super rapid mainstreaming of this term surveillance capitalism combined with the, uh, extremely short cycle of thought and attention in society, um, right now means that, uh, talking about surveillance capitalism for some people is already becoming stale, right? It's already becoming something that's, that's, you know, o only a year and a half since the book came out. Uh, and, and this really hit me after reading or while reading a story recently in CNET, 
um, about uh, Alexa and the, the author, the, the reporter, journalist uh, who wrote this, this story um, said, quote, it's almost passe to talk about the immense troves of data companies like Amazon and Google can tap nowadays. Almost passe, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> almost, I, I almost. I cannot <laughs> think... I, I cannot think of a more perfect outcome um, from the mainstreaming of surveillance capitalism than for people to almost immediately become tired of it, to cycle past it and treat mm-hmm. it as passe, cliche, trite, right? Which, you know, mission mission successful, you know, mission accomplished, yeah. <laughs> uh, squeezes all the oxygen out of uh, any, you know, once again, squeezes all the oxygen out of any analysis of capitalism, right? Because it just becomes another trite, cliche, passe, stale thing. Right, you know, and I think, and it's, and it becomes a sort of another, it's like become a signal or shorthand for people to kind of just like package up whatever the reader wants to project into it without having to do like the analysis, you know, and it's not that, you know, the analysis is some holy work, but it's like, you know, these things are huge um, forces that are shaping our lives. And like the only, the only way we will really get rid of them is if we understand what's going on. And Zuboff's project, I think sets us back far because you know what ends up happening is that almost anything that has any sort of relationship to data gets labeled as surveillance capitalism right but her book still doesn't touch on to most of the ways in which surveillance actually happens you know it um you know again like just returning to cities returning to um you know gadgets and gizmos that have been turned into smart tech that affect insurance that uh, that affect you know uh a person's ability to access healthcare, you know, um, just going back to police and the way that they regulate spaces and people's bodies. I mean, like these are these. If you want to talk about surveillance capitalism, it would make sense to me to talk also about the ways in which surveillance is literally reshaping how people live and the spaces they live in. Not like, not a sort of, and honestly, a top level consequence of it, which is that Google and Facebook are. Uh, engaged in like massive conspiracies to to make people more predictable they are yeah but like what is what is your police department using why does your police department have cameras on every single uh, block and in every single metro station you know why do they have a program that allows them that tells them to stake out a place at 6 45 p.m for 10 minutes and then another at uh for five minutes and then anyone there is automatically suspect and what does that do uh, to your to your uh, experience in the city. I mean, are we going to talk about that? Or are we just going to talk about how, like, you know, I wish we were more advocacy capitalists? It plays into um, this, like, th- this this real trend right now. Well, it's been a trend for a long time towards like just slapping modifiers onto the word capitalism um, as a way to like try to disentangle and obscure the continuation of a capitalist system um, by emphasizing like particularly problematic characteristics um, that that are you know somehow separable from that capitalist system. So we see it perfectly in Zuboff's book, book with surveillance, um, and uh, if I, I've. Reminds me of a tweet um, uh, from Mark Andrejevic, who's a you know excellent scholar on on surveillance and and media, um, who's been working on this stuff for a very long time. But but he really kind of nailed it in a tweet where he said, "quote 
Capitalism is happy to serve us uh, serve up the spectacle of the excoriation of the surveillance part of surveillance capitalism, as if the two are separable. And I mean, he nailed it right there, right? That's the psyop, is that capitalism is happy to sacrifice surveillance on the altar of public outrage, right? The problem is surveillance, and that's the spectacle that we will, you know, throw tomatoes at, that we will jeer at, that we will, again, you know, that we will sacrifice sacrifice um, so that the system as a whole can continue to to operate but we see the same exact thing not just with surveillance but we see it with you know recently with racial right racial capitalism uh you know michael walzer the editor of descent had a fucking asinine article recently on on racial capitalism yeah. and his yeah. beef with it right <laughs> where 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 he, he says, quote, um, in that article, capitalism and racism overlap sometimes, as they do today in the United States, but the overlap is circumstantial, not necessary. So again, I mean, what was that? Was what's the point of that? What is that for? Who is that for? Yeah, you know, I think that um I think also the the debate over racial capitalism, I think probably could uh, serve useful with surveillance capitalism and like you know i also or even with like as morzov talks about other types like platform capitalism cognitive capitalism like what surveillance capitalism is doing is substantially weaker uh as an explanatory framework and also like you said it's specific its specific project is to say that the surveillance is a is a novel part of capitalism whereas like you know uh, other explanatory frameworks, maybe you know, racial capitalism, maybe uh, bio capitalism, maybe platform capitalism, are trying to explore whether or not this thing that they have as the modifier is a novel. Is they're trying to explore whether it's novel or not, right? And and or offering a theory about why capitalism interact, why why that modifier is an integral part of capitalism not trying to say that it is a totally separate thing of which if we only we treated that then we'll then we'll fix capitalism you know you would be hard pressed to find someone talking about racial capitalism that really thinks that we can fix capitalism if only we end racism they would you don't like that's misunderstanding the project right same with platform capitalism same with all these other ones but but zuboffs is so like it's just it's it's i think it's insidious in how the it, it, it takes advantage of that tradition of like these modifiers and then goes, well, look, the surveillance is, it's, I mean, we've never watched people before. <laughs> you know, before 9-11, we didn't have anything that watched people. We didn't have CCTVs, you know, we didn't have, uh, you know, government wiretaps. <laughs> we didn't have anything. It was just, we trusted everybody. We didn't even lock our doors. You know, shout out another another piece of work that is just like so much infinitely better and more correct um, mm -hmm. than than Zuboff's, and at a fraction of the uh, the amount of page real estate mm -hmm. um, is Simone Brown's book Dark Matters on the surveillance of blackness. Right? I mean, mm -hmm. like like that really kind of short book. Um, has a, a far more useful and far more correct, you know, correct analysis 
um, than Zuboff's whole book because again, it's not engaging in, I think you, you use the word insidious and that's exactly right. You know, it's not engaging in this insidious project um, to, to find the sacrificial goat that can allow us to continue with the, the system of capitalism, right? That can allow the, this longstanding um, and, and, you know, common structure uh, to maintain. No, I, I mean, I, I think that that's, you know, this, this, this idea of a sacrificial goat is, you know, really important because it the sacrifice worse and it distracts us from like the fact that, for example, there is another analysis of capitalism that uses the literal phrase surveillance capitalism and is infinitely more um, critical and actually engages with the history and has explanatory and predictive power and, um, and covers, you know, all the covers the last 60 years of like US history in a way that I don't think Zuboff's book is capable of, unless like you make some trilogy, uh, special edition thing where it's like managerial capitalism plus, plus, uh, Z- like two of Zuboff's other books or one of Zuboff's other books, like advocacy, uh, her book on advocacy capitalism, right? Was it Age of Smart Machines and then, um, and then surveillance capitalism? If you do that, then maybe you uh, get the like support th- economy. <laughs> yeah, there we go. How, yeah, the support economy and talk. You know, if you do that sort of you know trilogy text uh, with uh, what is it, ten, uh, two thousand pages, maybe three thousand, then I think you'll approach. You'll start to get close to the analysis. This like ten page, <laughs> this eight to ten page essay does. Um. <laughs> for for real, I mean, we're we're basically like coming up with a an anti surveillance capitalism uh, syllabus <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right now. Because yes. right? we'll chuck another one on there on the syllabus, but another work which Zuboff, you know, it's criminal that she doesn't even acknowledge the existence of, is a is a, a essay called Surveillance Capitalism um, from 2014 in the Monthly Review. That is, it's literally named Surveillance Capitalism. Yeah, it's literally called Surveillance Capitalism from 2014 in the Monthly Review, uh, which was right around the time that Zuboff was publishing a series of newspaper articles in a German newspaper called Faz, um, which are also actually really good um, and kind of built up this this nice analysis um, of the operations of this, which then she completely tanks because it like revealed her actual political normative project in the book itself. But yeah, I mean the 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 monthly review essay is really is an awesome ex, you know exploration of these actual like political economic dynamics of like um, accumulation and extraction and dispossession uh, traced through um, like the the state uh, surveillance apparatus traced through, you know, the last like 50 years of, you know, financial capitalism development, right? Like it's an actually historically informed um, and, and, and structurally sound analysis um, in a way, again, that Zuboff's book and work um, is simply, it's not that it's incapable of it. It's simply not the project that Zuboff is, is after. It's not the the conclusions that she wants to reach. Um, and that's ultimately the problem, right? Because it's not as if we're critiquing Zuboff's book for being um, an insufficient piece of scholarship, which, you know, it is, or it's not as if we're critiquing Zuboff's work for ignorantly overlooking 
um, a, a wide array of, of forces and analysis, you know, that's relevant. Rather, uh, we're critiquing Zuboff's work for doing exactly what it sets out to do, which is to distract distract and displace, you know, actual kind of critical analysis, other alternative um, ways of explaining these systems. That's what she sets out to do. And if we allow surveillance capitalism to be um, the, the kind of obligatory passage point, right? Like the Bible that we all have to put our hand on um, when we, you know, when we critique these, these corporations or these systems, then by doing that, we're, 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 um, allowing, we're, we're allowing her mission to succeed where it ought to fail. And we lose gaining all sorts of insights. I mean, like, I'll, I'll read, I guess, uh, a short passage from this essay that I think summarizes the argument really well um, and is a good point to, like, enter it from. Uh, so it goes, uh, post-war planners and industry and government moved quickly to stabilize the system. Um, and here they're talking about the post-war economic system after uh, there were concerns that after World War II ended, there would be another depression if there was not some uh, effort taking up to stabilize. This is, this is from the monthly review yeah, essay, Yeah, this right? is from the monthly review essay. And so they were, they were, you know, state planners were like, all right, if we don't figure out a way to continue production and consumption at World War II levels, then we're probably going to go through another Great Depression, right? So they, uh, so uh, the quote goes, quickly to stabilize the system through the massive promotion of a sales effort in the form of a corporate marketing revolution based in Madison Ave and through the creation of a permanent warfare state dedicated to imperial control of world markets and to fighting the Cold War with its headquarters in the Pentagon, the sales effort and the military-industrial complex constituted the two main surplus adoption mechanisms beyond capitalist consumption and investment and the U.S. economy for the first quarter century after the Second World War. After the crisis of the 1970s, a third added surplus mechanism, a surplus absorption mechanism, financialization, emerged, propping up the underlying system of accumulation as the stimulus provided by the sales effort and militarism waned. Each of these means of surplus absorption were to add impetus in different ways to the communications revolution associated with the development of computers, digital technology, and the internet. Each necessitated new forms of surveillance and control. The result was a universalization of surveillance associated with all three areas of militarism slash imperialism slash security, uh, corporate-based marketing in the media system, and the world of finance. And immediately there you see that surveillance capitalism, they are immediately, they're going and saying the United States after the Second World War faced a crisis in which it needed to preserve its its economic stability and the, uh, the amount of power that it had in the world. So it mobilized a massive advertising system to convince people to continue to consume the excess goods and services it produced. Uh, then it created a military industrial complex to also continue consumption and production, right? And then as those started to wane, it, it turned towards financialization, right? And speculation. 
And in each one of these ways, you needed to protect that system by introducing new forms of surveillance because there would be resistance to it. It would be resistance to – the surveillance would help advertisers better target individuals, right, and better figure out which, um, which products, which brands, which uh, audiences could be matched with a product, right? Uh, the surveillance would also help the permanent warfare state by uh, uh, preempting uh, dissidents and uh, resistance at home uh, to the uh, machinery, to the imperial machinery, right? Which you needed to preserve raw resources, needed to uh, preserve cheap labor, and then you also needed surveillance and control mechanisms in the media system or in the information systems that uh, shaped people's worldviews, and you needed surveillance and control systems and surveillance so that you would be able to ensure the security of securitized assets, of mortgage bonds, of options, of contracts, of all sort of speculative and derivative tools, right? This is immediately a more explanatory and predictive framework to begin with that spans the post-war history, explains to us why even with the why digital technologies and pre-digital technologies were used in ways to um, to, to exaggerate surveillance and ties it intimately with capitalism. Um, but, you know, this is the sort of analysis that you wouldn't, it makes sense that Zuboff didn't even uh, acknowledge that this existed because the immediate consequence, the immediate assumption here is that capitalism is the problem, not that uh, you need visionary leaders, but that capitalism was a, was a racket, you know, an, or an organized, or that capitalism after the Second World War was consciously organized to do all these things which are bad, horrible, and resulted in ho horrific and moral outcomes for most of the world. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's the point to end this episode on. That That's... You know, that's the summation of an actually uh, useful and correct analysis of this system, right? And we'll, we'll chuck a link to that monthly review essay in the, the episode notes as well. Um, you know, save yourself the trouble of, of even trying to pick up and lift this, you know, Zuboff's book. Just open up that, you know, <laughs> that free essay on the monthly review uh, you know, and, and, and check that out and boom, you know, right there, better analysis. If you're feeling a little frisky and you want to, you know, get into Zuboff, I highly recommend just doing it through, you know, the spate of reviews of her book that have in many different ways, um, kind of, uh, you know, dissected it and I think discredited it, right? Whether that's Morozov's, um, kind of, you know, own, own mini book, uh, of his own or, um, you know, there's there's a lot of <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of you know reviews out there that are approaching it from different sides. Basically, the conclusion um, of this episode is Zuboff, you canceled, and and you know don't even read her book, right? Don't even read her book. It's not yeah. necessary. It's not necessary. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you at the struggle session, Shoshana Zuboff. We'll see you there. And it's going to be led by, by me and Jathan. <laughs> it, the, it will be TikToked. The struggle sessions will be TikToked. <laughs> and on that note, uh, yeah. <laughs> this has been TMK, 
And, uh, you know, I'll catch, we'll, we'll see you guys next week. Later. Adios. Adios.